Hello, Facebook. How are you guys doing today? This is Donya with, and Brian is, get there's Brian right there, and we are all Hi. here and say hello to everybody. So, Brian, I want you to go ahead and let's just get, jump right into this and get started. You go ahead and introduce the introductions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the last show of the season. And I am really, really honored and privileged to be able to introduce both Donna, Donna Cox Baker and Martine Brennan from the Beyond Kin Project, which I believe some of you looking at your names um, who are popping up on, on our view list have, um, are familiar with. So really excited to talk about the project itself, really happy, um, excited to talk about the inspiration behind it, why it's important, and why everyone should be out there um, supporting it. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Donna, if you'd like to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about how you got the idea behind the, the Beyond Kin project. Great. I'd love to. Thank you so much, Brian and Donya, for bringing Martine and I on to talk about something that we value so much. Um, I, uh, I, I can tell you that um, I, nothing like this would have ever crossed my mind a couple of years ago when you guys were already working on these things years back. Um, but I uh, was just unconscious of of, uh, of what my larger story was in my life. And um, I did my DNA a couple of years ago and uh, was completely surprised and very happy to see that I had ancestry from a place called Mali in Africa. I had to look it up on the map. I just saw your red line go through it in your intro and loved that because um, because all of a sudden this place matters to me a great deal, that I had an ancestor from Mali, and given the timing, the amount of DNA, um, it was pretty clear to me that this ancestor almost certainly was an enslaved person in, uh, in the United States, and so uh, I became very curious about that. She is the person I most want to find, and I began to try to figure out how in the world would I ever find this ancestor, and um, started to realize just what a hard time anyone who descends from an enslaved person in the United States is going to have trying to find their ancestry. And uh, it, it still at that point didn't occur to me I had anything to, to do to help anyone else with it. But um, I was then sitting in a, a class, a, a, a co-worker and I were teaching a genealogy class here at the University of Alabama and the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. And most of the people in our class were uh, were um, retired folks who were coming back to learn, uh, thirsty to learn folks. And we um, we had uh, been splitting up who was going to teach what. It was an eight-week course. And when we got to the place we needed to decide who was going to teach African-American genealogy, we both just looked at each other like, do you know anything about it? No. Do you know anything about it? And um, Susan uh, was the one who did the research and, and chose to teach that section for this group of people. And I was sitting there watching her that night as she was teaching this segment, curious like everybody else, because I had no knowledge of how to do this. Um, but she put a, um, a slide up and it was a picture of a bill of sale. Her fifth great grandfather um, had bought uh, a woman and around the Gulf coast. Um, I mean, many, many, many generations back. And uh, it was, it was just this, you, you you don't have many epiphany moments in life, but that was one for me. I mean, it felt like a light hit me right in the forehead and went into my brain with the words in my head, we have the records. I mean, I suddenly realized for the first time that the descendants of the slaveholders have the records. And 
Um, I, I knew that my ancestors, I knew that there was um, at least one enslaved person uh, on my mother's side of the family. And I'm thinking, okay, what does our family have? Anything that somebody, somebody else would need? This woman who had been purchased um, by Susan's great, you know, many times back grandfather um, had uh, probably, if any of her descendants are wanting to research the story of her, the bill of sale is, know, not necessarily where they're going to find it. So it occurred to me that um, we need, those of us who descend from slaveholders need to be thinking about how to help get the information where it needs to be. Um, I was a blogger at that time, still am, but um, I have a blog called The Golden Egg Genealogist. And at that moment in time, the only thing that was really going through my head is this would be a good blog, you know, post. I would post about our responsibility, what we could do. And so I was going to write about it, but um, I uh, managed to, you know, during the night, This all, most of this is happening in one night. I um, went back to look at something I had looked past a million times in Ancestry.com, that thing where you're looking at a slave census. Okay, I had, it kept, I, when I would search for my great-great-grandfather, it would bring up his name, but it would bring up a slave census, and I'd look at it, and I'd think, there's no names here. You know, I didn't even know what I was looking at. There's no names here. So I would go on past it. And this time I went back and actually made myself process what I was looking at and realized that it was him. It was his name on the um, blank lines of 40 people that he owned. And uh, that was just completely mind boggling to me. Why did the family not know that? Why had that never been said? There was only mention of one who had gone off to the Civil War with my great-great-grandfather um, when he was 18 years old. And so that was a shock. And so now I'm really starting to process because I'm thinking I want some way to attach the group of people to my family um, because I realized for the first time I don't know my family. I mean, if you only know the nine white people, you don't know your family. If there were 40 people living there with them, working with them, uh, helping to raise their children, I don't know their story. So I was trying to figure out how could I process that. Now, this was one thing I actually had some skill out a little bit because I came from the computer industry. So my and my father was an engineer. So my mind is thinking, how do I document? Um, but of course, I'm still completely illiterate about how to do African American. Uh, genealogy. So the next morning, after all night processing this in my head, I'm, my first call, and I would have called in the middle of the night if, if I thought it wasn't rude, was to Frazee and Taylor, who in Alabama, she is she is genealogy. She is African-American genealogy. She is history. She is, she is just a fabulous person all around. And I called her to tell her what I had, had been processing in my mind. And she said, Donna, um, I've known for many, many years that the white people needed to um, process that they need to get the records out. And um, she was um, uh, very excited about um, the fact that I was um, waking up to this. And so she and I became partners on what do we do next. And um, as I began to figure out how to document it for myself, I was doing it with the idea in mind that I'd blog about it. But then she and I were just talking about let's put it out there for people. I mean, if we create a system that works, let's put it out there for people. Both of us are so busy. She is the busiest retired person you've ever met. And I have so many hats at my day job and my home job that um, we knew that whatever we did had to be sort of put out there in a way that um, it could sort of keep rolling on its own power, on its own steam, because we wouldn't have a lot of time to babysit it.
Uh, we really didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and uh, we, we rolled out the idea to some of the people in our state that are in, you know, um, prominent history positions. And we were getting all kind of a mixed bag of emotions people had about whether this was going to work, whether it was going to create trouble. And we decided let's don't attach this to any organization. Um, let's just roll it out, the two of us. We don't want to kill this in committee. And um, so we did. And people started to latch on. And I think Brian was one of the first people to call me after we ro rolled it out to say how much work he had been doing and how this had um, had helped this this system had helped. I still, by the way, uh, the, the technology is the main thing I know. I am still learning like a baby um, about how to do African-American genealogy. I have so much to learn, but I'm glad that at least the technology side uh, that I was able to to put that in and, and, and make some um, some sense out of what is a very complicated thing. Nope, absolutely. And thank you so much for that. <clears throat> so, I mean, basically just listening to you talk about your how it developed naturally, it was, you know, it just sounds as though it was a very, you had a very personal kind of um, attachment to it. Um, and a lot of times that that's where our kind of journey for these types of things begin. So before I kind of delve into how your approach to documenting enslaved people really helped me in my research, I'm going to hand over to Martine, who's a very active volunteer with the, uh, the Beyond Kin project. So if you can kind of talk about how you discovered Beyond Kin and kind of what your connection to it is. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Tanya. It's, it's really great to be here. Um, okay, so um, nearly two years ago, um, I, I do a lot of research on the Brennan family name because it's my family name and I contribute to a thing called the Guild of One Name Studies, which is in the UK. And um, so I, I was here, there and everywhere looking at different records, started coming up with Brennan's and the designated race was colored or black or Negro, depending on the period I was looking at. So I started thinking about this because as I was growing up, Brennan was an Irish name and we, we really didn't know anything about slavery at school. We didn't learn anything. It was like something happened in the South and there were no Irish people involved. And oh, yeah, and it also happened in the Caribbean, but it's over now. This was kind of about the gist of it, okay? And um, so out of curiosity, I found the, the slave schedules and I put my family name in and page after page after page of people with my name were coming up. And so curiosity. So I went looking and some of them actually identify an Irish heritage. Um, so I thought, oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and so I had done a DNA test with Family Tree DNA, and it wasn't helping me with figuring this out. So I knew if I did one with Ancestry, that would. So I did a test with Ancestry, and lo and behold, I had lots and lots of African-American cousins and very few, in fact, none of them um, do we have shared matches. So it's and just actually, one person kind of under. And actually two of us mm -hmm. are here on screen. Actually two of us are here well, on screen. That, that is the nice part because over the last few weeks I have discovered that I do have a focus for my research, which is Danya and Brian, because we're cousins and I have some 
connection with you guys in South Carolina. So on my blog, you're going to be seeing a lot about South Carolina from now on. So, 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 so that's that's um, that's that's really how how I made made the move, and and I I really um, I really can go along with Donna. I have so much to learn. Every week I'm learning. Every single week I'm learning. So anyway, I was looking at these Brendan families and I was thinking, you know, I I try and track them down and see can I find their Irish roots. Now I haven't succeeded in connecting any of them with directly with a place in Ireland yet, but I keep on trucking. But of course, as I'm going along, I'm finding other people and I'm thinking, I can't just throw away this research. Somebody must be looking for this somewhere. So that's when I found Beyond Kin. And that's when I thought, great. Because the other thing is, um, obviously I live in Ireland, well, not obviously, but I'm from Ireland. I live in Ireland. So there's not people living down the street who are doing the same kind of research as me. So this is really great for me then to have a community of people who are also doing the same thing. So that's how I got here and found my two lovely cousins. And <laughs> <laughs> so happy you could join us because we appreciate it. it's very late where you are at the moment. Um, so I just wanted to kind of quickly touch on how I actually, how I discovered Beyond Kin. And as Kismet or the Cosmos, whatever you want to call it, um, kind of works, I found out about Beyond Kin at the absolute right, perfect time that someone could find out about it. Um, it was at the time that Donnie and I realized that we had an ancestor called Moses, who had 45 children. I kind of bullied Donia into um, researching him. To be... You bullied me. You bullied me. <laughs> <laughs> to, discover, to discover who this man's 45 children were. And wow. at first, we, we did it very, very old school. We found a lot of deeds for North Carolina um, and South Carolina that involved Moses and the Williams family, the White Williams family, um, and literally, deed by deed, I would write down all the enslaved people who were listed in the deed. I would make notes about them because all of a sudden I noticed their names started popping up in other deeds, in people's probates, in their estate inventories. And before I knew it, I had about 45 sheets of A4 paper, which is list after list after list of names with notations, their open. Sally May, born 1805, okay, check page 23 to pick up her trail again. And I thought, there is no way I can share this research with eight other people. Because there was eight of us who were actively involved in, in finding out more about Moses' story and trying to find these 45 kids. There was just no way. I thought I could digitize things, but how do I explain my notes? My handwriting is worse than a doctor's. I could just see giving the whole team just nothing but gray hairs. And I was trying to think of ways of including it in um, my ancestry tree, ancestry.com. Couldn't quite work it out. Just happened to do a loose Google, adding enslaved people to a family tree. There was the Beyond Kin um, Project website. Kind of went there. Um, I saw a little um, diagram, little schemata. Uh, Donia and Francine and the, the team did a really, really wonderful job in kind of stepping you through how, you, how, how to do it. And um, I just took it off from there. I was really excited. I phoned Donia. Oh, my God, I found out this thing called the Beyond Kim Project. I sent her the link, everyone else on the team the link. And uh, we did. That was, uh, we actually did a Moses Williams family tree uh, entirely based on the Beyond, uh, Beyond Kim methodology. 
Um, and that enabled us to, to locate 15, 15 or 16. Well, I think at that time, it was yeah. about te- 10 of his it children. Yeah, it was 10 at that time. And um, uh, mm. then we did, we did fit, we're, we're right now, we're at 15 children. So we've gotten all five boys and 10 girls. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I'm probably one of your biggest champions, cheerleaders. Uh, I was. I will always be enthusiastic about it because it was the right tool to use, and I found it at the right time, exactly when I needed it in the course of my own research. Well, right. I, I, yeah, thank you back because um, I, I had told you it had to go on its own power. This this had to roll out in its own steam because phrasing, and I didn't have the time. You guys have made that happen, and um, I, I thank you. And Danya, I, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Um, I was just getting ready to say, you know, we always do little shout outs to our families and friends who have um, who have logged in. So I just wanted to say hello. But everything that you're saying, um, like Brian said, the Beyond Camp Project was just like the much needed thing at the time when we came across Moses. Because technically, yeah, Brian bullied me, but I think Moses bullied me. You know, <laughs> I, I, really do. I feel like Moses bullied us into doing this particular um, into getting into getting into that. And, you know, I believe that everything happens for a reason and more than likely it happened to bring light to your project. Um, not to mention our own project and, and, you know, what we're doing and what we had to do. Everything is kind of like falling into place as we do things, you know, and um the Moses Williams project was just the beginning of it, and, and Beyond Ken was much had much to do with it. So, with that um, being said, and um, I was just going to also say, I also have to give kudos to the state of North Carolina for having digitized so much of its records, because yeah. we wouldn't have been able to build a tree if they hadn't. Yeah. If Caswell County, and yeah. I'm going to slaughter the name of this one, but Pasquatank mm-hmm. or Pasquanic, however you pronounce it. Yeah. If they hadn't, if they hadn't digitized the records, we would have had no, we would have had nothing to to work with. If Edgefield County, South Carolina, hadn't digitized its records, and if the wonderful Miss Miss Ramsey, who did the Edgefield Slave Deep book, hadn't have yeah. done that, we you know we we really wouldn't have had the data and the material that we needed to build the tree. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. that's the message, isn't it? That 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 these materials have got to get where people can find them. They have yep, to. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So um let's say hello to to our our group right now. We are um we are in the high twenties to today as far as what these views are saying, but I really feel like it's more. But um I wanna say hello. We got Shirley as always, Tommy, um Teresa's joining us, and Teresa has a message for Martine. She says it's nice seeing and hearing from Martine. She has helped me tra- me trace my third great grandmother's Irish line. The Beyond Ken Project is brilliant, Donna. So that was for the I two. Of them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, Martine, um, Martine is a miracle. She's a miracle. Yes, so. really is. And just also, we have people from Texas and North Carolina, our family, 
Stephanie and, and Shirley. And then we also have people from Buffalo, New York and Houston, Texas, Maryland, and our ever so faithful Karen Bertram from Denmark. This mm-hmm. is her show. <laughs> we have a shot. We even we have a shout out from Michigan. Yeah, a shout out from yeah. Michigan. And is that it? I think so. So and far. No, you uh, Australia messaged me to say that they'll be listening in in the morning. Okay. Our morning. <laughs> or their morning. I don't know which. All right. So uh, um, I guess so, because the questions, Brian. So the next question I have again for for Donna, were you nervous about how descendants of uh, slaveholders were going to be about what you were doing? That's part one. And how did you kind of prepare for any pushback that you might get? I was absolutely expecting trouble. Um, And uh, that group that I had polls of historians in the state, uh, they were black and white uh, evenly. And uh, getting some people saying, great, do it. And some saying, oh, 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 I don't know about this. And um, so even that uh, initial thing. And then even some of my own family members worried that, I was going to uh, open a can of worms by uh, exposing to the world our family's slaveholding history. Um, some very excited I was doing it, and some worried that uh, there was going to be payback, you know, somewhere down the road. Um, and so I, I guess one of the things that was important was that moment, that epiphany moment, because sometimes things happen in your life that are so coming from somewhere else. Uh, into your into your heart and your mind that you know you've got protection and and that was I guess what was happening here that I knew this had to happen and um, but I but I expected quite honestly a lot more trouble than than we've seen um, people have been remarkably um, congenial about it um, and uh, I've, I had a few snarky emails uh, or a few snarky responses when I first rolled it out to genealogy um, networks around the country, just a few, um, maybe three at most. Um, Our own site has had hardly any trouble with this. I think it must be an idea whose time has come. I know that everybody's not ready for it and that everybody's not happy um, that things are being, that stories are being told that they didn't even want to know were there. But uh, people were far more ready for it than I thought they would be. Um, and uh, and it's been wonderful to watch it. I, I'm not sure what all to attribute that to. Um, for one thing, I think it made a difference that it's Frazine and I. Um, she is African-American. I am white. She and I both descend from both slaveholders and enslaved persons. I think somehow that diffused a lot of what people might have criticized. Um, if it had just been her or if it had just been me, somehow together we were able to get something, uh, get some traction on something without anybody being able to say, oh, you're just trying to do this. You're trying to, you know, we, we, we both sort of are this amalgam of everything um, that people might have um, been encountering. So, uh, yeah, it has, it has not been nearly nearly the trouble that I thought it might be. So, oh, that's not good for to me. hear. Not for me. But, <laughs> because, but I am hearing this. Because I have to say, one of my unfortunate South Carolina experiences was I'd spent about a year doing intensive research on one of my Harling ancestors. Um, come to find out that when I eventually 
discovered who his enslaver was, who also happened to be his father. And for a lot of African-Americans, that's going to be the, the double-edged sword um, yeah. at, at some point in, in some of our lineages. Um, but when I reached out to my white relations on Ancestry to ask them if they had any information, and you know, considering when Oliver Harling was born, there was a real likelihood that they might have even had a photograph of him. Um, I was met with, you know, I was met with some hostility, but someone was like, well, one of the responses that I got that made me the angriest was, oh, well, I guess the cat's out of the bag now. And I'm thinking, you've been following my journey that I've been writing about for the last year. That's a year that I could have been spending researching other people. You waited that long for me to, to, for me on my own to put those pieces of the puzzle together. And that, that in and of itself made me really angry. I, I could, you know, imagine. I under, I understood yeah. their discomfort, yeah. but if you know that someone's struggling in their journey, or that you yeah. can speed their journey up mm-hmm. by months, if not a year, yeah, surely that should overcome any kind of hesitation, any kind of hes- hesitation that you might have, because that's what I do. I have white genealogists, yeah. and Donna, you might want to throw that link to that article that um, oh. <sighs> What is that? What uh, what is that blog? Uh, uh, the one that I shared with you guys this morning. Reclaiming kin. Reclaiming oh, kin. Yeah. Reclaiming kin. I like it, um, especially from the Holloway family, which is a huge family, um, very large and uh, slaveholding family, but very complicated to uh, to research. There's a lot of wrong information in lineage books and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the team had done such a thorough job in, in researching them. I get white genealogists who are also my, my cousins reaching out going, oh my God, now I understand why I'm not getting any DNA matches through this person because I have the wrong parents for him. These are his right parents. And as soon as I added them, I get DNA hits kind of yep. a thing. Yeah. Yeah, and just, I think, you know, oh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's just me. That's, that's just the way that I work. And I, you know, I do that because that's who I am. But I also like to think that I'm paying it forward, that at some point someone will see me struggling in my journey and will return the favor. I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. And I, I also think um, that uh, having uh, people begin to tell these stories of our mixed heritage as we begin to do it, just not with, you know, with complete excitement about it, uh, then it begins to free people up who thought, what are people going to think if they find out that I descend from slaveholders or that I descend from an enslaved person? Um, the, the, the fears that people have, I hope, are going to begin to diminish as more and more of us take up the challenge of, of doing this, whether we are uh, coming at it from African-American or white side of the story, will we begin to get, um, get comfortable with it and start to realize that uh, if somebody is going to judge you badly because of what your ancestors did or what color your skin is, then, you know, don't worry about, you know, why would you even worry about what they think? So um, I think that we're going to begin to feel a, um, a loosening up of those fears because fear is really at the base of what's going on there. Um, that as more and more people are saying, look what I found. Um, here's the enslaved person. I, descend from. Here's the enslave, enslaver I, I um, descend from. And as we're talking about it just as naturally and as comfortably together, and nobody is beating us up about it, that maybe people will begin to uh, loosen up and, and uh, embrace the fact that we have a fascinating past together. 
No, absolutely. Uh, ugly, mm -hmm. ugly, and, but fascinating. And you don't have the story until you have the whole story. Absolutely. And Marcy, yeah. you might want to jump in on this bit. Uh, Donnie and I have spoken yeah, I, a lot about it, and I think we've actually spoke, we covered it a little bit on one of our shows. Tone of voice is really important. So when I'm reaching out to specifically to a white DNA cousin for the very first time, and I know how we're related or, or I strongly suspect I know, um, my tone is very mm -hmm. open. It's very relaxed. I, if anything, I bend over backwards to make sure it's open, it's relaxed, it's friendly, it's inviting. And I even, you know, even if they're still a little bit hesitant, I'm like, look, all I need is information. I don't want birthday presents from you. I don't expect you to pay my college <laughs> loan. Nothing. I just, I just want information, and that's exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, Martina, yeah. I'm sure you'll have. Because that is one of the fears. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 um, I spend a lot of time talking to people about the project because I feel that it's just the right thing to do, basically. Yeah. Um, and I try to encourage um other genealogists to to get involved because you know they may come across something in the course of their research, and please, please. If you're one of those people, check out the the project, make a contribution. We'd love to have it. But um, the the response I got, particularly, I was in Liverpool last year at a conference, and the response I got was people were thrilled to know that there was something useful that they could do. And uh, so that was the sort of overriding feeling. Then behind that was, well, what if I use the wrong words or if I hurt somebody or, um, you, you know, um, say particularly in the UK, they talk about this thing called political correctness, you know, that you, you use the right phrases and terminology. And, you know, what I say to people is you will make mistakes. I make mistakes. I get it wrong, but the important thing is to try, is to be open. And and I find that when I'm open with people and I say, look, if I make a mistake, tell me, because I'm okay with that. I'm not going to get offended. I, you know, this is something that I have a whole load of passion for and something I really want to do. And I am teachable, I suppose, in the old phrase, you know. Um, so this is what I say to people, that if you're willing to be teachable, you can also just contribute research and, and run away to, you You know, you don't have to stay around and make friends. And, and the other thing is, no matter who my matches are, um, not everybody becomes my friend, even though they're my genetic cousins. So I think if we if we kind of, I encourage people to to try and lower their expectations of themselves. You know, like don't think you're going to get it right. Don't think it's always going to be easy. No, it's not. And sometimes it's going to be sad, and sometimes it's going to be upsetting. But that's not a reason to give up in my mind. Um, the Quakers have a wonderful phrase and they talk about bringing the invisible into the light. And I love it because this oh, is that. what we're doing. This is the invisible history that is ours. It's our history, all of our history. Nobody is exempt from this. It's exactly. all our history. Yeah. And we're just bringing it into the light. And, you know, you know, when you bring things into the light, sometimes you drop things, sometimes you break things, sometimes you just <laughs> position it beautifully. No, but if you don't try, nothing gets into the light. So well, I, I, I try to really encourage people, you know, with that. 
Well, you actually raise a really good point. It's because a lot of the times people who do have the answers come from a different generation than, than ours. So for me, I'm thinking about a white Roan cousin that I'm, I met a few years ago. And when I first met him, he was in his late 70s. He, and I think, yeah, he was in his late 70s. He lives way in the depths of the Appalachian Mountains. So, you know, he's, he's a rural, you know, old Southern boy. And he was kind of nervous speaking to me at first because he's like, I'm the age that I am. The how black people in the in America describe themselves has changed so radically over the over the decades. I'm afraid I'm going to say basically what you were saying, Martin. I'm afraid I'm going to say something that's going to basically upset you. And I'm like, well, so long as you don't drop the end bomb, I'm kind of I'm kind of cool with with anything else. So turns out he was really nervous about using the word Negro, and I'm like, look, you're the age that you are. You come from the part of the states that you do, and I know that you don't mean me personally any disrespect. So, I was, I was flexible with it, because um, I knew that the, I knew that there wasn't any malice in it. And do you know to this day he is one of my favorite favorite cousins. To speak, we speak every month. He has me in stitches with his stories every month. Um, and the more that you know, and over the years as I've gotten to to know him and his family. I kind of get where some of my own family's kind of quirks come from, because even though you know racially different, look completely different, there is a there is a Rome thread that that's common throughout pretty much every Rome that I've ever met. You know, and it, I wouldn't have known that if um he hadn't been open to the experience, and if I hadn't been open to the experience. Well, um, I, so, I something because. I want to piggyback on all of the stuff that you guys are saying, basically. Um, and of course, I'm not speaking for all African-Americans. I never can speak for all African-Americans. But from what I've experienced, from my experiences, I've learned that there are African-Americans that feel the same way as um, white Americans do. They're afraid. They don't want to. They, they're either afraid or they're angry. So when they find out that they have somebody who was enslaved in their family, then um, then uh, that's when they have to realize, you know, OK, am I ready to learn more about this person? Because we all know, you know, the the the, over, the stereotypical thing is if someone was enslaved by a family, then more than likely they were raped by the family. And that's how we are family. And I don't want to know. That's the stereotypical thing. But reality is, is that sometimes you might have had a little black girl and a, and a little white boy who grew up together and they be, were friendly and then they turned them, you know, slavery. But that friend, that friendliness turned into a love and they may have fallen in love with each other, honestly, because at the moment that little baby that little girl or that little boy they didn't know that they were slaves they were just two children playing and that's how and sadly that's how things were going this is how stuff was happening and then our children grew up and then they then they all of a sudden had to have a hate for each other but some of them didn't some of them actually did fall in love some of them were raped there were several things that were done but because we don't have this conversation and I'll be the one to say this because America tends to hide the what slavery is and what slavery yeah. has done, yeah. uh -huh. that's the problem. Mm -hmm. 
That's the overall problem because they hide it. They won't have this conversation. Um, Teresa Vega came and said, this is called coming to the table. And that's what it is. You know, we're, we're coming to the table with open eyes, open ears, open hearts, ready to learn about what it is that we need to learn about in order to get rid of this thing called racism, in order to grow past it. And the only way we can do that is to acknowledge that slavery actually did happen in all of its horrors, you know, because there's so many horrors that it's ridiculous. And, um, and people, and a lot of people sadly don't know about those horrors. So I think the Beyond Kim project, allowing people to upload their information anonymously, um, or, you know, or, or do it so that other people can find out. I think that's an awesome idea. I think that's a great project. And I know it helped us tremendously as far as the Moses Williams project is concerned. This idea of of coming to the table. I mean, um, I feel like that's what happened with Frazine and I. I mean, we didn't have any animosity toward each other. We were acquaintances who respected each other uh, for years. But I couldn't say we were friends. Uh, And I didn't I didn't know that I would have said Frazine Taylor was my friend. But I didn't realize until we started to sit down to talk about this project that I didn't know her. I didn't know she was in the Peace Corps. I didn't know her husband was a graphic designer. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that she went to boarding school and she was all of these things that began to that we became friends. We really became friends. And it was like um, a, a glass window had been between us that I never saw. Yeah. You know, and that and that there's this breaking of it. And I think it, Mar- Martine, uh, yeah. I think you were talking about uh, what you were talking about earlier just made me uh, reminded me of this sort of concept of uh, of white uh, people living in a very protective bubble. So clear we don't know it's there. You know, we see African-Americans mm-hmm. on the other side of the bubble, but we don't recognize that we aren't together, you know, that we aren't hearing each other. Mm-hmm. that We don't know mm-hmm. that we share a story together. And once you actually become friends together, when you, you know, it, it changes everything um, and mm-hmm. uh, opens a door and, and begins to diminish that fear. And it may be that some of these mm-hmm. situations where you need to approach a person of the other race about your shared ancestry it may be that it'd be a good time for us to go in pairs, um, a, a black friend, a white friend that goes with you to ease that, um, ease that very awkward moment um, where you introduce that maybe we begin to open doors for each other um, and make it less frightening because fear really is the problem. Yes, nope, absolutely. Yep. Um, so we- oh, go ahead, Tanya. Uh, I was going to say, I want my, I'm looking at my comments and I got everybody kind of saying different things, but nobody is really uh, asking any questions. I have somebody named Hope Whitman who says that um, she says she has a story. I have a story that might be just that, but yet my white relatives have not acknowledged the possibility at all. We believe they sold my great grandfather away rather than acknowledge him. Or did worse than that. Once he was married and had a family, he mysteriously disappeared after the 1870 census, never to be seen again. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. I don't even know what to say. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, having those stories like that and, and... Knowing that our families are just like disappearing or or not being, you know, not being counted. That's what this Beyond Camp project really helps with. It yeah. it helps, it allows people who are afraid 
to really come out and say what's in their family line and just anonymous mm-hmm. help without letting themselves know who they are. And yeah. I don't know. My question to to you, Donnie, is when something like that, say someone did and you know upload their information anonymously, and I found I found somebody, one of my relatives in that uploaded information. Is there a way for me to be in contact with that person? Or, you know, how does that work? Well, we um, we aren't really a repository of documents, um, although a person could certainly attach a document to a Facebook post if they wanted to. Um, but we encourage people to, if they have repositories, to post links. Um, and we have a, a directory. Um, and I think we've given you that link, but a link to a, a research directory so that you can tell people this is the family line I'm working on. And here's where you can find our material. Since we, you know, we we are not we don't own servers. We don't own, we, we ha- take no money for Beyond Ken. So we don't have the uh, the ability to create a repository for all this. But we definitely want to give people a pathway to all the places this stuff is stored. Those great resources in North Carolina you mentioned. Uh, it, we begin to help people point to where the places might be. Now, uh, as far as whether something is anonymous, um, uh, on Facebook, you, can't, you, you would really sort of be identified as you put something up. But it is possible that somebody might have a website somewhere, have material that they're not claiming ownership for. Um, there's, uh, you know, uh, there's really no power that we would have to have that person reveal who they are. But um, I do, again, think that uh, anything we can do to diffuse fear as we are approaching a person it is very important um, because there are all these myths around about, okay, if, you know, if somebody finds out that my mother descends from a slaveholder, she's going to wipe some there. Somebody's going to try to wipe out her retirement or, or whatever. So uh, there, there is a monetary fear even attached that we've got to be conscious of that people are hiding things for all kinds of reasons. Um, so uh, beginning to um, ease that, that transition between being people who keep the glass between us and people who are willing to, to remove it and start to learn from each other, being willing. And we've mentioned this being willing to make mistakes as we begin to approach each other without attacking each other on uh, the mistakes that we're making and how we approach or words we use or whatever, because we're all terrified. We're going to, we're going to mess it up. Um, And, uh, but we're beginning to, but I'm not sure I answered your question, Donya. Um, Did I? Well, because I'm even though they don't have a repository, yeah. Yeah. based on our previous show, the yeah. International African American Museum does. Yes. Um, and again, mm-hmm. that one you can actually upload um, documents mm-hmm. about enslaved people to um to their website. So yeah. that that's certainly an option. Wonderful. I just wanted to quickly respond mm-hmm. to something that um that Donna just said, <clears throat> uh, which brings me quite nicely to a tweet. Kind of been in a little bit of a Twitter throwdown over the last couple of days. Uh, there is a senator from Mississippi. Um, I'm not even going to say what his name is, but he's a, a neo-Confederate who tweeted a, well, basically a very disingenuous poll about Robert E. Lee, who I'm related to through my father. Not a direct descendant, but I'm not a direct descendant. But you know, he's a cousin uh, through a multitude of Virginia lines. It was a very disingenuous tweet, and considering I've been quite involved. Um, doing a lot of intensive Virginia ancestry, looking at deeds and wills and, and whatnot. I just tweeted to the senator that he was being very disingenuous, that he was playing fast and loose with, very, with what is a very painful 
family history for some people is painful for mine because I know the five ancestors who were enslaved and I knew what their experience was. That's not me having an attack of Lee family descendants. Um, I know three, I know a handful of them. We get on very, very well. And funnily enough, they, they keep saying, we wish that this whole conversation would stop. We kind of wish that he was almost a ghost and people would just let his ghost rest. Yeah. If, it's, if it's up to really anyone to kind of talk about him, it, there is a national conversation, obviously, because of the figure that he was. But that kind of a con- there's another conversation that's mm-hmm. perhaps more personal um, within, you know, within the family. So I didn't want anyone to misconstrue mm-hmm. uh, my tweet. It was very much targeted at the senator and what he was doing and in no way targeted to descendants or relations of the, of the Lee family, which thankfully my cousins, my cousins got. But I thought this would be a good time for Donna, for you to actually kind of talk about the Beyond Kin methodology. And oh, Donna, sure. do you have that, that graphic mm-hmm. to, to queue up? Yeah, I believe so. And let me say as she does that, that um, the, the problem with documenting uh, African-American population Populations or really any underdocumented group of, of people is, first of all, you don't necessarily know who parents are, you don't know last names, and all of our genealogical software was created to have established family groupings with last names that people share, and so trying to figure out how to do some, some way of connecting the larger group of people around uh, uh, a enslaved populace, enslaved population, enslaved institutions, uh, um, group of people, or uh, it could be also for an orphanage and groups of children who um, were uh, not connected to their parents. There, any of those kind of things are um, uh, of value in this method. But I, I want to say up front that the method is a workaround um, because our software mm-hmm. simply doesn't let you do this. They, they don't let you tie people to people you're not legally or biologically connected to using the software. And so our hope is that uh, as we all get on board with uh, showing our software companies, look, we're going to document these people, we, whether it's, it's uh, enslaved populations or whether it's a group of soldiers that fought together in a unit or whatever it is that there's a group of you're not going to understand your ancestor until you understand that group that we're, we hope that the software companies are going to begin to create a more elegant solution. And we will be very happy mm-hmm. to see the beyond mm-hmm. Ken methodology go away when that happens. Um, but for now, um, yes. being able to do it allows, it allows us to um, all be able to read each other's documentation and know what we're looking at by doing it in a similar fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I do say all that because when you see the schematic of this, you're going to think you're seeing something complicated. And the first time anybody uses it, they're thinking it's, oh, it's complicated. And it is more complicated than I want it to be. But there is a reason why we've set things up the way they are. Um, it, it ends up uh, that if you pull out any piece of it, you usually end up regretting that you did. So we tell people to do this. We, we wanted to create a way not only to use software that already exists, but to make whatever is created transportable so that if you're on Ancestry.com today, but tomorrow you want to be on MyHeritage or something, that you can use the GEDCOM transfer and everything moves cleanly. So we tried to use mm-hmm. very simple and basic connections that are in virtually every genealogical software, marriages and children. Um, so uh, 
the way we created it was um, to, dis to, to connect uh, an enslaver to the uh, population, this, uh, the enslaved population, through a couple of marriages. We marry the slaveholder to somebody, a virtual person called the enslaved population, excuse me, the um, Beyond Kin Project, and then we marry the Beyond Kin Project to Kin the enslaved project. population. Now, we do this to make sure that we never want the enslaved population to appear to be the biological children or grandchildren of an enslaver, all right? If they are literally the, uh, the genealogical um, connection to him, then you put them the regular way uh, uh, into genealogy software. But they are owned by the person. You don't know that there's a genetic kinship. Um, you need a way to connect them without making them appear to be genetically linked. So um, having those that couple of marriages, that couple of odd marriages sticking between the enslaver and the enslaved population is how we do that. Now, another problem that you find in trying to do any kind of uh, documentation of enslaved populations is that you're operating from a set of documents. Uh, one might be a will. One might be the um, 1860 slave census. But every time you find another document, the person may be named something different or they may not be named at all. So uh, you can't just easily say, okay, this is Sophia. Um, and uh, every document you find, find Sophia in there and, and, um, and connect her. So we had to create a way to, to tie people to the source in which you found them. All right. So um, do, uh, we don't have the uh, diagram up yet. Uh, so I know that it's probably even more confusing for me to say it, but I'm sorry, were you yeah, saying something? something? Um, we've got so, a... Something's coming. All right. Well, um, been the enslaver married to the Beyond Kin Project married to the enslaved populations. You've got this uh, this connection that's loose, all right, but a connection that if you decided to move your software somewhere else would move with it. So the enslaved population person, virtual person, becomes the, the holder of all of your plantation information or your, uh, let's say that you're, you may be documenting an ironworks that um, that owned slaves. You might be documenting a university that owned slaves. So that institution's uh, connections are all going to be logged through sources. So if you've got, in my case, and, and, and there will be a link I think Daniel will provide to my own family's um, tree that's, uh, that serves as a prototype for the Beyond Kin Project. So you can go in there and look at how we did it. But he is married to the Beyond Kin Project, who's married to his own enslaved population. So that population has children. We treat the population like a person who has children. Each child is a source. Okay, the source might be the 1860 census. The source might be my great 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 grandfather's will. Um, and so every source you find that names enslaved persons becomes a child to the plantation or the ironworks or the university or whoever's holding slaves. All right, and then under the source, you create children that are the people. All right, so um, they, you name them whatever that source named them. And that way, you are going to begin to have a way of comparing one source's list of people with another source's list of people and start to find ways they connect because you find that there is only one 
um, enslaved man in the 1860 census who is a particular age. And then in the will, you find only one man who is of that age and he has uh, and he has a name. So you begin to then merge together people as you know who is who. And you begin to pull together a richer and richer picture of each enslaved person. Some of them you're never going to figure out who is connected to who. But you'll be amazed at how often you can once you are lining them up this way and looking at them. Um, I want to apologize. We are really having some technical difficulties, all the little links. So all of the stuff that Donna is talking about, if I'm if I can pull them up, I'll, I'll try to pull them up, but they will be added to the comments page. And again, I do apologize. It's just some technical difficulties happening, but I will try my best to get as much stuff in as possible. Right. And everything I just told you, it's in a diagram with arrows. And, and so once you've done it a few times, it becomes easy and you start to get it. The first time you're like, this is too hard. But don't <laughs> let yourself give up that first time. And Martine, you've done it. So, and, and, and you as well, Brian. So uh, tell them what you thought the first time and, and uh, whether you figured out how to do I it. Was, do you want to go, Martine? I thought I am never going to. I'm never going to be able to do this. Um, I, think but we, I, I, I think Martine might be frozen at the moment, so I'll jump in. Um, okay. I think the way that your website explains the method methodology was really, really well done. <clears throat> but like any new skill, I was a little bit, I wouldn't say nervous, but I was a little bit self-doubting about how quickly it was going to become second nature. So the first couple of times I was doing it, it, it was slow going. Because you have to really think about each and every step, make sure that you get each and every step correct. Because um, again, as you're adding these kind of fake spouses, yeah. you have to go into the edit relationship and set it to a non-biological setting. Those of you who use Ancestry will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and sometimes I forgot to do that. So, you know, obviously it was showing that they were married to this really weird spouse you know, <laughs> called the so-and-so's 1811, 1811 will. Yep. Um, but it did, it did get a lot, it, it became, um, I'm not going to say second nature, but I got a lot, it became very efficient at doing it. <laughs> Excuse me for one, one, one moment. <laughs> yep. So I've been, <clears throat> sorry, I'm still getting over a cold. So I'm working on an ancestor called Joseph Pleasant. <clears throat> He's very, very famous because in a 1760-something will, he manumitted, he freed all of his enslaved people. And we're talking nearly a 1,000 of them. Wow. So that was nearly a 1,000 people that I had to put into the family tree using the beyond kin kind of um, approach. And that took me three and a half weeks Probably, you know, good... I'm amazed you did it in three and a half weeks. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, That's that, a lot that, was of work. Almost, that was almost a full time job. Yeah. But I'm sure. what, it, what it allowed me to do, because I knew roughly the date, well, the way that they were freed, they weren't freed until they were at least 30 years old. Once they hit 30, then they could go. He was very good about putting what their year of, their year of birth was. Many instances, okay. he actually gave the, the full birth date. Quite a few, and I would probably say about, a quarter of them had last names as well. So those with last names, it was really easy to work with. The one name ancestors, because I knew where they were at a given point in time. I knew, and most of them were either in Henrico County in Virginia or Charles City County or Goochland. I knew exactly which, mm -hmm. which plantation to go to, which 
census, or not, not even, well, yeah, the census and also the tax lists. The Virginia tax list was what actually broke that whole ancestry thing for me. I was finding family groups, the lot, and it just enabled, just enabled me to really, really rapidly pick up, pick up their trail. And probably about a third of them I've traced all the way down to, t- from 1760, whatever, all the way down to 1940. Wow. And a lot of that was basically based on putting them all in, putting them all in that, that beyond kin format, understanding how quite a few of them were related to each other. Yes. And then just kind of building off of that. Because when you're looking at a, a list and you have eight or nine different Sukis, yep. you know, you know that there's yes. <clears throat> one with the name, you know that there's an interconnection between them in some way, shape, or form. Uh, four of them I quickly realized was a mother, a daughter, and a granddaughter with a niece kind of thrown into the mix. But it's like, you know, how am I going to differentiate, you know, in the the names that were used for them. And again, it's something that people have to kind of get over because it is what it is. You know, there's black Nelly, there's yellow Nelly, there's yeah. Mollet, there's like old Nelly. Um, Little Tom, there's big Tom. Exactly. There's old Tom. Yeah. And you know that there's a relationship between them. Um, yeah. But as you start digging the records, that's how you start being able to, uh, to fill those, fill those gaps and make those connections. So well, um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm speedy Gonzalez at it at the moment, but I'm a, certainly a lot more confident. Right. I think it's a confidence because I've done it so many times now. I'm just much more confident yeah. and much more efficient mm-hmm. in how I work. You know, you said mm-hmm. something I, I, I really should have mentioned earlier, too, the importance of doing the entire bunch of people together because uh, if you're just interested in your own ancestor and you're just trying to find what you can find on them you're going to miss so much that could have informed the story of your ancestor because you may find that one of the other enslaved persons on the same plantation left a diary and if you had worked on the whole plantation you'd have find it found a diary it actually tells day to day what your ancestors' life was like. So you mm-hmm. want to you want to work on whole groups together because you're gonna you're gonna enrich everything and you're gonna open doors that were gonna be closed mm-hmm. to you otherwise. Um, and Donna, the other thing that I would, I would sorry, I was gonna say the, the Oh go ahead, Tanya. Um there was one person that said that they were intimidated on beyond.com. Um I'm, what do you mean by that? I don't know. I don't know why they said that, but they said they were intimidated on beyond.com. I'm trying to get them to respond, you know, just yeah, to they, let know that we see their question. Okay. Well, while they're yeah. answering that one, I was going to build on what Donna just said. Cause again, we need to think about plantations or even small farms as mm-hmm. self-contained communities. Yes. And by okay. listing everyone that's on the various uh, enslaving records, you're going to hopefully find siblings of your ancestor, extended family members, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles. Because again, especially in my family, well, Donnie and I's family are, are on the white side and the black side. Cousins were marrying cousins, and they were cousins were marrying each other a lot for a long period of time. Right. So you have a man, you know, you have a a male from an enslaving family marrying a woman from an enslaving family who were first, second, or third cousins. You have her dowry slaves who may or may not have already be related to his enslaved population coming together, Mm -hmm. forming their own families, which again are being split apart, but being still being held within the same family. That's largely what, I mean, I know obviously not everyone, not all 
uh, descendants of African-Americans will have the same experience. But largely on both my mother and my father's side of the family, the enslaving family held their, and they knew who they were related to. That's the, that's the only way that I can put it. Okay. And if anything, those considerations, they wanted to keep those people with, within the overall family. So one brother might go to one son, another brother might go to another son, you know, in, term, in terms of enslaved people going to their white relations. They may be split out that way, but they're still being held within the same overall family. Right. You know, I am um, one of the first people I met um, as a part of Bianchian, or soon after, was the descendant of, I told you I knew the family had one enslaved man, the one who went to war, the Civil War, with my great-great-grandfather. Um, but uh, the first person I met that was connected to the enslaved population of the Mayberry Plantation was the, uh, was the descendant of that man. And what she brought, were she because her family, though, my family left them very little in terms of records of, of who they were and their names. She had oral history and she brought to the story uh, all kind of things about that man that I would not have known and about which uh, enslaved woman he married on another plantation and which one he was married to on the same plantation and things that I learned things about slavery I didn't know because she had all the stories and I think that while the white family may have the records the African-American families may come with the stories so um, beginning to connect those together is going to enrich it as well Uh, did we connect back I'm sorry I was just wondering if we got Martine back into the story. Did did no, Martine get connected? Can you hear me? No, she's still. Can you hear she's, okay, she's she, still, may, she may she's not realize still. that she's uh, yeah, <laughs> she's okay. frozen. Wait a minute, wait, she, she, yeah, she's she, moving on my end. Martine. Yeah, I. Yeah, can you hear me? I can. No, I'm still here. Can you hear her, Brian? No, I can't hear. her. No, <laughs> nobody can hear me. Oh, well. Oh, I can, I can hear you. I can hear you, Martine. Well, anyway, I was, can you? But I was curious okay. about so, Martine's. So. I was curious about Martine's experience with the, um, uh, with trying to master the compl- the complexities of the method, because um, I, I know it wasn't a breeze. So. It wasn't easy. I yeah. found it very difficult. If you want to give can me a hear- little thumbs up when Martine's finished. <laughs> okay, I will. Okay. <laughs> Right, I, I did. I found it very difficult and I really wanted to give up. Um, but being a member of the group on Facebook was great because I could write to somebody and say, help. Um, and somebody kindly, I think, checked over what I had done and said, actually, it's OK. You know, um, and uh, so. So, yeah, the first time, the first time isn't easy. But I think once you know that you know, John was married to Mary, but he was also married to the Beyond Kin Project, if you like. And and then the Beyond Kin Project is married to the will yeah. or married to the census. I think that really does. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, adding the children then is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's tough. Uh, and uh, Brian uh, Martinez, as she was talking about the help she got on the Facebook page, and I would encourage anybody, you know, if, if it doesn't make sense, just ask. Um, there are people there just, uh, as I said, it, it, it took on a life of its own. There's just this whole 
group of technical support people who just sort of named them. I mean, I mean, they just take over. They, they, they will help you and, and nobody's paying them to do that, but they will. So. No, that again, that's one of the things I love about the Beyond King community is it really is a community. There, there's no side eye. There's no ish or, or any of that stuff. People are just generally really, really supportive. Yeah. I'm wondering if the person who left the comment about being intimidated was basically meaning that she found the approach intimidating because I've, I've, I've never that's seen I was ready to say to you um they responded they said um how to set up the connection of the enslaved and also searching for information if that makes sense and then she said from the enslaved bird to the enslaved that was something that was very intimidating yeah. um to to them and um it's it yeah that's what it was. Yeah. We, we don't have a lot of questions. It's, it's actually a lot of listening that's going on, yeah. and which is great. Um, I am so sorry that I cannot pull up. I don't know what, what it is, but I am posting these links. So I have posted the link to the Beyond Ken site in the comments section. I've also um, posted another link to the section and now I'm getting ready to post the Facebook page. So you guys definitely need to join the Facebook page. Um, if you, you know, feel like it is something that you want to do and you want to get involved in one way or another, because Martine is a volunteer as well. So they are, they do accept people to help out and, and be a part of it. Here's the link. I have been able to put it up there, but I can't, for some reason, it's not letting me show stuff. And that's a long uh, number. To, uh, uh, beyondken.org. Beyondken.org <laughs> will get you to the site, and, and you can get to our Facebook page and to our research directory and to instructions and to the schematic, all of it from beyondken.org, if that's easier to remember. So one thing that I've been doing since I discovered Beyond Kin is I've been trying to actively lobby both family search and ancestry specifically to kind of come up with a coding solution to make this a much more streamlined, easier, and as you were saying, Donna, more exportable uh, yeah. platform uh, to be able to use. And my argument to them has been really simple. And I've 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 actually invited a multitude of people who work for Ancestry and Family Search to watch this show, yeah. um, to say this is how Africa this is how a lot of African Americans, especially those of us who have enslaved ancestors, have to do our research. There is no other way for us to do our research. If you are spending lots of money, millions of dollars, actively marketing your Ancestry platform to African Americans. Mm -hmm. You have to support the way that we have to do our research, just like Jewish people have certain things that records that they need to access to do their research, as do Native Americans, as do oh, that community has just gone completely out of my head. But you get the point. Yeah, yeah. Certain, you know, certain demographics yeah. require certain kinds of support and schematic for, uh, uh, coding. To be able to do their research, oh, yeah, yeah. this yeah. is how descendants of enslaved people have to do their research. So if you take yeah. my money every month, I really yeah. need you to make this a much yeah. more easier and streamlined exactly. process. I understand mm -hmm. that if you're a descendant, you know, and I, I do, I appreciate if you're a descendant from a, an enslaver, it is jarring. And I'm thinking about people who will be my cousins on the Pleasants, Jordan, Fleming, and Crump side of the family who 
will probably look at one of our my pages in horror seeing yeah. hundreds of enslaved people. But that's what I have to do to figure out which of those many groups of people are my ancestors, direct ancestors, ex- members of my extended family, and the other ones who may or may not be relations through marriage. But that that's how we have to do it. Exactly. And I, I hear yeah, that family can, can I just... Oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. But can I just say, though, that if anybody from Ancestry or any of the other companies are listening, it's not just African-American families. It's not that easy. It's all our families. I want this um, facility on Ancestry for me and my family. I I want to be able to put in all my cousins, all my relations. I don't want to be constrained to only being able to put up my white European or legally married relations. Um, I, I want that too. So, so I don't think it's, it's just for African-American people. I think it's for all of us now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. I agree. Um, we have another uh, question up here where um, Barnetta White, she says, I am more than confused. I'm sure there is something on Beyond Ken that I can use, but I just can't seem to come to terms with the internet vocabulary. I've been doing this for over 30 years using original documents. I still need someone nearby to explain to me all that is shown mm-hmm. on Ancestry 23 and Me, et cetera. Um, and Barnetta has been active on the on our page for a long time, and I thank mm-hmm. you so much for coming in today. And I, I, I know that one thing we need to do is to create some sort of online tutorial, uh, a video tutorial. And I, I really want to do that, and I hope I can make the time to do that. If somebody else can do it, uh, if I don't have the time, I would love to see that happen. Because I do think for some people, just watching it being done could be a lot easier than trying mm-hmm. to read it, read how to do it. And mm-hmm. so that is one thing we definitely need to do. And Barnetta, um, yeah. I don't know where you are, but uh, I, I would love for, to be able to actually come to a place where I can talk to a group. Um, I know that I, I think um, I'm going to be coming to Atlanta at some point. I don't know if you're near there, but um, yeah, just being in a room, uh, going through a PowerPoint presentation and being able to a- ask the questions could be helpful. But we do need some better methods of explaining it. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm probably good. not the best person to do it because I've slightly adapted the Beyond Kim right. project because I know that a lot of, specifically my Virginia and South Carolinian um, white enslavers, um, are biologically related to their their yeah. enslaved people. So I've actually removed one of those two-step distancing. So there's still yeah. a degree of separation between right. them. And it's really mm-hmm. weird because, again, the, my main tree is on ancestry, and it's still really strange that I can still set a record, whether it's a will or an estate inventory or you know whatever it is, or a deed, as a friend or other, something that's yeah. non-biological and then list yeah. all the enslaved people yeah. as either foster children or yeah. stepkids or some some right. distinction that clearly should denote that they are not biologically related ancestry right. still mm-hmm. says that they're biological you look at the description yeah. and it still says child it does and and if mm-hmm. you have made two people foster children under the same parent which would mean generally that they weren't necessarily 
Um, they weren't necessarily biologically related. But if you try to marry them, which they might very well have been married, um, yeah. then ancestry is going to block it. But um, and I have, mm. I have notified them of that as a problem. I've, I have a workaround, and that's another thing we do on the site. When we hit on problems that the software creates like that, um, uh, then we, uh, we find a workaround and we share it together. So, um, yeah, there's a way to work around that. But I know, um, Brian, I think you had a pretty complex coding system already designed. Did you not? Am I re remembering right that you, uh, you were coding your ancestors in a way that mm. helped you to keep them organized? A lot of time, I try to cover. I try to illustrate their kind of journey, their enslavement journey through um, through the same family uh, down the generations. So, one on a person's individual, you know, on their timeline, I will put, I will make notes. You know, you can actually do those custom events. Yeah. I create a custom mm -hmm. event for each record that they that their name appears in, so oh. I can chrono, so I can chrono, chronologically follow them. Yep. I put make a note of. You know who their original enslaver was, who they went to in the you know in the next document, who they went to after that, where they were, the date, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. So yeah. anyone landing on their page can get that little short story that way. Right. But as they're going down the generations, I will create a duplicate for them under the the next enslaver. Put right. a little, especially if it's a one name ancestor, which most of them are going to be. Yeah. I, you know, I'll put like Andrew asterisk. I'll go back to the original Andrew, and I'll actually mm -hmm. merge merge the two of them. Right. Um, well, together. don't we long for, don't we long for the day that none of the coding and complex oh stuff is needed? <laughs> uh, and I think it will happen. Oh, the yes. more of us who are getting on board with doing it the hard way, that tells the software companies the first one of you mm -hmm. who does this uh, is going to start getting the business. So you know, yep. we, we 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 can have the power of the critical mass one day soon. I hope. Um, well, Marnette responded um, back and she said, how do I determine who the common ancestor is? And that she's from North Carolina, of course. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, in terms of my visiting at some point, I would love to come there. I would love to move there, Barnetta. How about that? Um, but, um, okay, so determining a common ancestor. Well, uh, the, the, the Beyond Kin project is designed, um, it's not necessarily looking for um, uh, biological connection to the slaveholder technically. That, that's not what we originally designed it for, though it's going to happen. You, uh, with DNA, you're going to begin to have connection to, uh, you're going to be able to begin to see biological connection. But our goal with the Beyond Kin project was to actually document that population that's around, you know, that, that's a, that, that encompasses a slaveholding institution, uh, whether or not they are biologically related to each other. So we really don't have anything new and different in terms of figuring out genetic, uh, genetically connected um, ancestors, except doing what, uh, you know, we're being counseled with, with everyone else doing DNA and, and, and matching that with documents. But I will say that if you've done the work um, with the Beyond Kin Project method or what, or if you have another method that works, of getting all of the details together so that you can find everything you can know about each enslaved person, um, beginning to mine what's available from multiple records, uh, beginning to, to compare and contrast them. So you start to have more and more about them. You might know that they were on three plantations and what order they were there and things like that. Yeah. that, that it, you match that with DNA, and then you begin to have a much better shot at figuring out who, uh, who was biologically connected to who.
Yeah, so I would probably just flip it just a little bit to say, for me, the way that I view it is Beyond Kin is about laying down the foundation of the paper trail yes. to be able to research the family. Now, the first, that's going from the past to the present, going back from that, that kind of oldest known enslaved ancestor, going back further in time, again, trying to pick up their trail through the paper trail. But if you knew that you share DNA with descendants of that enslaving family, that paper trail should narrow down, should start to narrow your focus yes. down about who the biological ancestor mm -hmm. may be. And then exactly. it comes down to mm -hmm. reaching out to descendants of that family and triangulating DNA. But that's, that's a different process to beyond kin. Yes. And, and, you know, mm -hmm. I mentioned that the enslaved man that went to war with my ancestor, that his descendant had found me. And she and I, I mean, she had been fairly confident that when she found me, she was going to found, find the genetic uh, connection, that she, she felt like she descended from uh, my ancestor. And my DNA, unfortunately, ruled that out. Um, but it, it, it at least eliminated uh, it eliminated a wrong path. So it helped her to move in another direction. So uh, being able to find each other by way of the paper trail and then to uh, use DNA to, um, you know, refine the next steps. You know. yeah. We got another question from Deborah um, Cross. And she said, while listening, I'm exploring the Beyond Ken site and I'm looking through the slaveholders list but so far, I don't see any of my names, Mims, Boom, Holder, Tut, etc. Do you have information for slaveholders who had small numbers of people, like one to 35 enslaved people? My ancestors do not seem to be, do not seem to have been big time enslavers. Right. If she was looking, uh, Deborah, if you were looking in the in the directory, the research directory, uh, people are are populating that over time. So it, you keep coming back because uh, a person that's working on your family names may show up in time. So keep keep an eye out there and put yourself in there as a researcher on those names so that people looking will find you. All right. Uh, but then you could also mm -hmm. come onto our Facebook page, tell people who you're looking for and see if anything comes up. Uh, the, the more of us that amass around this, the more likely you are to find somebody, but, uh, but uh, it may not happen immediately. And Martine, considering I've spent so mm -hmm. much time saying what a wonderful community the Beyond Can community okay. is, if you'd like to talk about how, um, just about the, the engagement, aspect the um the kind of volunteer okay. and the the, mem the member engagement that you do okay so um people are coming from all walks of life and uh, some people come in kind of in shock because they've just discovered um a, a slaveholder in their ancestry um other people are coming in like me well we know there must be a slaveholder because we're we're getting these either a paper trail or DNA matches. Um, some people are coming in from a kind of a social justice uh, sort of a thing. Other people have, um, I suppose, you know, a spiritual faith or something that's kind of leading them in this direction. So, so we're coming from a whole load of different perspectives. But um, I think I think what we all share in common is 
is um, the knowledge that this is the right time, that this is something that we can all contribute to. Um, some people are fabulous researchers when they come in the door. Other people like me are learning as we're on the go. Um, no piece of information, no matter how small, is, is useless. Every piece of information matters. Um, and so, so we have some people, you know, like Farnetta, who's, you know, has massive experience in research. Um, and, and as I say, other people like me who are just a couple of years down the road, but everybody, um, everybody who has even one name matters, even if it's just one name, it matters. So, um, and, and, and people are helpful. Well, Don and Frazine, they set the tone for the group very warm and um, welcoming and encouraging too um, and our group isn't or at least it's not my experience anyway it's not like hierarchical you know we're all in this together and we're trying to make a difference for whatever reason and um, yeah so it's it's a good place to be it's 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 a really good place to be it's good to have you there <laughs> thank you <laughs> well, we are knocking on the 5.30 time period. Normally, our show goes for an hour, but we knew this was going to be a little bit longer because it was a lot of information that needed to be, um, you know, gotten out. I am, for one, am continuing to watch the Beyond Kim Project because I haven't found any of my family names in there as of yet, but utilizing the um, the methodology is is just great and um so is there any like any last minute things or any other any anything that we haven't covered outside of the fact that you know we can't show the the, the stuff because of the the it's a technical difficulty but is there anything that you want to say donna to to people because i've already pl placed the facebook link up there as far as joining and um is there anything else I, I just want to, Martine, uh, her, her face represents to me why this is working and uh, because she just, she, she's just become a leader. Nobody said, Martine, we want you to lead. She just leads and others do the same. Mrs. Abbott, who is watching uh, her expertise in, in this uh, is helpful. She's always there to help on the research side as is phrasing. And I just, uh, I just welcome anybody who wants to be a part. Don't worry if you feel like you don't know how to do it yet, or if you don't feel like you're contributing, just uh, watch until you, you're ready to, to step in and do what you want to do to, to make this mm -hmm. the critical mass we need to make this really roll into something huge. Okay. Brian, do you have anything you need to say? Um, apart from thanking our, our two marvelous guests for joining us today, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> thanks both of you thanks both of you for letting letting us become that's a great martine it's always wonderful talking with you especially given the fact that we are family and that's just awesome family. um donna we going to have to check and see where our connection is because i'm quite well sure hey you mentioned robert mm -hmm. e lee and i think i'm connected to him too so we're going to find it yeah we're going to find it pretty much match everything and everywhere yeah. so um, Brian is my highest matching cousin. We, I think we crossed paths like seven different times. 
on seven yeah. lines. And so that's, it's, that's just South Carolina. <laughs> that's even before we even get back into Virginia. <laughs> I'm glad you've done all my work for me when we actually do find Right. And there was one lady who um, made a comment up here. Um, she asked, she was like, Brian, you have Holloways in your family. I do too. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Holloways. A lot of Holloways in our family. Actually, if you go to the Genealogy Adventures website, you will find a lot of blog posts, a lot of articles about various Holloways in my, in my Holloway research. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So we have people saying thank you, everyone, that, that they're appreciative of the show. Um, lots of comments, over 80 comments, 81 now. <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> It's always growing. You guys, we love the fact that you have followed us. I want you to know just straight off the bat from our first show to our last show, um, this final show, we have watched our numbers grow. And right now we are touching on the 10,000s because of you guys. And it's, it's all because of y'all. So thank you so much. Um, continue to share. Share our genealogy site. Um, share our genealogy YouTube page because people can watch the videos while we take a little hiatus for the month of September. We will be back though. We will be back. And um, we will be back in October and we're going to start off strong just like we're ending strong. We're going to start off strong. We're starting off with the Georgetown University 272 Descendant Project. For those that don't know what that is, basically Back in 1838, Georgetown sold 272 of their enslaved people in order to save the school. And now we're going to be talking with Karen Bertram. No, is that? No, Karen Harper Royal. Royal. Yeah, Karen Harper Royal, and um, who is one of the directors in that area in, as far as the Georgetown project is concerned. And she's going to share some information. Edgefield family. You're going to want to watch that because there are several of our family surnames that connect to the Georgetown Project. I am actually um, a descendant of one of them by Queen, but I have no idea how. So this is going to be a perfect time for people to come in, ask the questions that they need to ask. Um, another show that we're going to be doing is actually speaking with the... Um, the director from the Daughters of the American Revolution. And we're going to, you know, learn more about that and what it is that they actually do and how people can, you know, join, join them and what kind of information they may need in order to join to find your overall patriot. So we have a lot coming up in October and, you know, we're really looking forward to these next few shows, but we're also looking forward to this break. So... <laughs> <laughs> So um, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that I signed up with Brian with this. I'm glad that I found him. I love Brian like I grew up with him. You guys may not know this, but Brian and I have only known each other for, well, five or six years. But yep. you can't because I swear, um, I mean, he's like my right arm, and I think I'm his left. So it, it's we have really gone through some stuff with our families. We are the dynamic duo. Whenever I'm, whenever I have a genealogical funny shock, horror, whatever it is, Donnie is always my first part port of call. Yeah. What's my famous? But usually my line with you is, "You are not going to believe what I've just found today." Or, or, or he'll come 
with the, are yeah. you sitting down? And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. But it's, it's, it's really, it's really awesome. And um, I'm so proud to be a part of this project. Uh, we are still moving forward with our other projects. So, you know, mm-hmm. keep a listen, keep a lookout, follow the Genealogy Adventures page, follow the Beyond Ken page, follow the Sheila Hightower Allen DNA page, project page, because um, it's all growing and everything is in one way or another is going to meld and mesh, mesh together. So um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Yeah. Thank you again, guys. Thank you so much. I'm Brian. Thank you guys for joining us. And thank you to the audience for, um, again, sharing your Sunday with us. Um, Love the journey. Yes, we'll talk to you guys in October. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. What do I do?